Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to talk about trust. Trust between uh, us and, and God. And and also, I want to get a little Kabbalistic today and talk about... Um, Talk about just the, the, the rhythms of our relationship uh, as a sort of run through the calendar and into the year with God. And there's something that is, is very relevant right now. And it, it's something that kind of hit me um, just the other day as like just this revelation of sorts. And that's the following. Um, Everybody knows, I think, that, that, that there's, a, there's a shift happening in the calendar right now, meaning to say um, we're about to enter into the month of Tammuz, and which means that the three weeks are starting, which are, of course, this very sad period leading up to um, Tisha B'Av. So, so in other words, the, we've been on this like very joyous run you have where should we begin? Let's maybe let's begin with Tubishvat. You have Tubishvat, and then you have Purim, and then you have Pesach, and then you have Lagbomer, and then you have Shvuis. So you, you've got this like this run of holidays that are happening, and then all of a sudden it's sort of like like Hashem seemingly hits the brakes, and then does this hard right turn or a hard left turn, let's say, you know, if left is Gvura, right? This hard left turn, and then it becomes like Tammuz. And then it's sort of like, okay, folks, party's over. We're shifting into different Jewish mode right now. We're going from happy to sad. And I think that that is what everyone thinks. That certainly, I mean, I don't know if anyone puts it into words that way, but that's certainly the way I've lived with it. And I think the way... um, just about everyone lives with it. You know, you just sort of take it as a given. It's sort of like the holiday streak is over. Now we're going into sort of like the the sad history part of, of the Jewish people, you know, which is also part of our history. So that seems intuitive too. So you don't have too many questions about it. And then you just say, okay, you know, we're, we're flipping modes and, and that's what it is. Okay. So now I would like to advance a very different narrative right now that I think is actually very accurate. And I'm putting a lot of things together. And hopefully when I finish, um, you'll, you'll agree um, that, that, that something else is going on, actually. And I'll just, I'll just give you a preview of what the thought is, that actually this period of, um, of closeness is, is not ending with the holidays. In other words, we are not shifting from this sequence of holidays um, to something sort of like sad. That's not what's going on right now. But there's a spiritual dynamic that's going on right now, which is far more interesting and, and actually, actually happy, but challenging. Okay, and you'll see how all those things are going to fit together in a moment. So let me just give you, again, a brief preview of where we're going to go with this. Um, 
the idea is that Hashem now is actually getting even closer. But what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? When Hashem comes even closer, you see, there's a visual that that was shared with me uh, years ago. I don't know who came up with it, but it's just so simple and, and direct and clear. Um, which is, you know, the, the Rambam says, and I remember when I first heard this, I was like, I didn't like it. I was like, ah, why, why would this be the case? But the, the Rambam says that Hashem is actually stricter with tzaddikim, stricter with holy people. And you, you would think that that's actually, in a way, counterintuitive, because you say, well, the tzaddikim, the holy ones, are, are doing way more. So they should be entitled to um, more of a break, more slack from God. And, and that that that's, seems to make sense, at least on one level. So what's this bit of imagery that I mentioned? Well, it's, it's, it's the famous white shirt <laughs> analogy. So if you're wearing a white shirt and you get a little stain on that white shirt, it's very, very noticeable. The eye goes straight to the stain. And, and that's what it is in terms of understanding what the Rambam is saying, that Hashem is stricter with, with tzaddikim, with holy ones. That, that's the idea, that if there's a, a little sort of um, kind of straying or mistake or, or rebellion or whatever it is, you know, at their level, you have to understand that it's at their level, which may be perhaps for us imperceptible, um, but, but for them, you know, from God's point of view anyway, it's an issue. It's a, it's a real issue. So, so, so that's what it is. Okay. Now let's apply that principle of the little white stain being kind of a big deal and apply it to the calendar as we've been discussing it. And that is that, you know, you've got, again, I won't go through all the holidays, but the big ones are, you've got Purim, and then that sort of like blossoms into Pesach. Remember, we always put Purim and Pesach next to each other. If there are two months of Adar, like where should Purim go? In the first month of Adar or the second month of Adar? So if you asked me, I would say put it in the first month of Adar because you want to run to do a mitzvah, right? We've got this principle called um, Zrizuskite, which means that part of, part of being holy is actually running to do good things. So, so put Purim in the first month of Adar, right? That's what I would have said. But the Gemara says, no, no, no. You put it in the second month of Adar. Why? Because you want to link Purim with Pesach so that they're always 30 days away. So in other words, I'm, I'm not just being sort of um, uh, descriptive here when I say that Purim blossoms into Pesach. That, that actually is the intention of the rabbis. That, that one goes into the other. So you have Purim, then you have Pesach, and then, of course, um, Shavuos is intimately linked to Pesach. Uh, there's no date for Shavuos in the Torah, unlike all the other holidays. It says 50 days after Pesach. So there you see, there's, it's, it doesn't have its own separate date, like it's this independent entity. No, 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 no. The Torah is very consciously linking Shavuos with with, with Pesach. In other words, we're getting out of Egypt. Why? In order to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. 
So what, again, what I'm trying to tell you is that each one of these holidays is blossoming, blossoming into the other. Purim is becoming Pesach, and Pesach is becoming Shavuos. And then what? Well, what I'm saying is, and then God continues to get even closer. Aha. But now this is where it starts to get a little bit complicated. When God gets even closer to us, now we're all wearing white shirts. (laughs) That proverbial white shirt that we just mentioned that we don't want to stain on. Because we've been lifted so high up, Now God is extra, extra, extra close. And now this can either be a fantastic time of even a further higher lifting up, or it can be a time of judgment. Because if when God gets that extra degree of closeness, if we're not, so to speak, up to our game on our side, then it becomes a time of din. And so, I'd like to show you what what inspired me, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this idea now. I want to show you what, what, what inspired this thought, because there's a hint to it in the Torah. Um, that's, that's, that's sort of like very subtle, but it just sort of like like alarm bells went off in my head. Um, let me tell you what it is. There is, you know, the, 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 scribal, the scribal traditions of how to write a Torah scroll are so awesome. They're, they're like so awesome. In other words, when, when do you make a large letter in the Torah? And when do you make a small letter? And when do you write a letter in a, in a slightly different way? They're, they're, and each, each time something like this appears in the Torah, it's a, it's a gateway to like a whole new understanding. So in this week's Parsha, in Parsha Shalach, um, and I'll go into the timing of this in a moment, Parsha Shalach, is always the last Shabbos um, of Sivan, okay? Which means that it's it's going to be um, Shabbos Mavorachim for Tammuz. All right, I'll translate what all that means. Um, we have just a spiritual foundation that the last Shabbos of every month has a special name. It's called Shabbos Mavorachim, which means the Shabbos of blessing. Well, what are you blessing? You're blessing the new month that's about to come. So Kabbalistically, we say the following. We say that the last Shabbos of every month contains the whole month that's about to happen. Okay? So that means that the last Shabbos of Sivan, where we read Parsha Shalach, that always has this big Yud in it, this large letter Yud in it, and that's what we're going to be describing in a moment, and if you want to see that large letter Yud, by the way, it's in verse 14, or rather chapter 14, verse 17. Chapter 14, verse 17, if you look it up, 
not every Chumash um, lists the large letters, but but I know the art scroll does. Um, if you if you look in that, you'll you'll see this very large letter Yud. Okay. Um, so so anyway, how does that large Yud um, hint at everything that we've been discussing up until now? All right. So that's this is going to be the the next part of the talk, and and we're going to see how this idea of extra closeness, extra divine closeness that's coming our way for Tammuz, because when we have this large Yud, that's the Shabbos that contains the month of Tammuz, right? The last Shabbos of Sivan, which contains the coming month, which is Tammuz. This large Yud is hinting at divine closeness. All right, how so? So now you see something really interesting. You know, every month of the year, we've got 12 months of the year. And you've got the holiest name of God. That's the four-letter name of God. You know, the Shem Havaya, or in English, they've got a very sort of esoteric word that I like, which is the Tetragrammaton, right? Um, but that's uh, that's the Yud Kei Vav Kei. We call it the Yud Kei Vav Kei because it's the letters Yud, we say Vav instead of Hey because we don't want to sort of like casually spell out the name of God. So we say Yud Kei Vav Kei. But when we say Vav, we really mean Hey. Okay, um, it's just a a very sort of um, uh, careful way of 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 spelling out God's name. So we substitute a letter there. But you've got um, you've got the letter Yud, and then you've got the letter Hey, and the letter Vav, and the letter Hey. And I told you, whenever we work with the yud vav we you always visualize it like a ladder with the Yud on top and underneath that the He and underneath that the Vav and underneath that the last He. And the bottom He, that, that sort of like forms a map of the world with the, yud, with the Yud being like sort of the highest aspect of Hashem that, that we can access. Of course, God is not limited to this little kind of map that we're making here, but God exists dimensions beyond, 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 beyond even that letter Yud. But that, that letter Yud is the highest aspect that, that we can humanly discuss about God. Okay, so the point is, is that this stands for these four stratifications of light, the highest light being the Yud, the lowest light being this hey, where, where we live. That's, that's, that's a dimension called Malchus or Olamasiya. That's this world we live in called the world of action. You know, that's why from a Jewish perspective, it's, it's, it's great to have holiness in your heart and to think wonderful things, but, but we're very actually bottom line oriented in terms of our understanding of our purpose in this world. And it's very action oriented. You know, we want to do the right thing. We want to actually perform mitzvahs. That's, that's important because this is the world of action. Okay, good. So that's the bottom hay. That's the bottom eight. That's where we live. Now, these four letters each have a different energy associated with them. And I mentioned that there are 12 months. And each month has a different permutation of how these letters manifest themselves, how these energies manifest themselves in each month. So each of the 12 months, because there's 12 possible combinations of these four letters. There would be more, but there's two He's, so there's only 12, okay? So 
there's 12 permutations of these four letters, and each of the 12 months has one of the permutations, one of the arrangements of the Yudke Vavke. Very good. Now, Tammuz, now remember, the Yudke Vavke is this name of Hashem, which stands for Rachami, mercy, love. It's very, very positive. Now, what if I were to tell you <laughs> that the permutation for Tammuz was the Yudke Vavke backwards, right? Because one of the 12 months has to be the name of God backwards. Well, that's what it is. So actually the permutation for, for Tammuz is He Vav He Yud. And if, as you, as is, would be intuitive to understand, if the name of God the Yudke Vavke stands for mercy and love and Rachamim. If you're spelling the name backwards, well, that would be a, a time of din or judgment, right? That would be a harder time because you're sort of reversing this, this chesed, this kindness. So that's, that's intense. That's intense. By the way, I'll just tell you just this Kabbalistic aside because it's kind of interesting, but but it's just an aside to our discussion right now. Um, you know, Nisan is the first month of the year, because in the counting of months, uh, you you go with Nisan. That's where the month of that's where the holiday of Pesach is, and the arrangement for for Nisan. Remember, Nisan has the word Nes in it, which means um, miracle. So what, what would Nisa, what would the month of miracles be? Well, very appropriately, when God takes us out of Egypt, because there were all these amazing open miracles that were done. So the arrangement, what would you expect the arrangement of the Yudke Vavke for Nisan to be? Well, one of the 12 combinations has to be the, 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 the regular spelling of the divine name, Yud, then He, then Vav, then He, right? And that's, that's Nisan. And, and it makes sense because you've got this love which is totally revealed and with total clarity. So it makes sense that that would be the month of Nisan. Okay, now what's the 12th month of the year? If Nisan is the first month of the year, what is the 12th month of the year? Well, that is Adar, okay, where we have Purim. And it makes sense that Purim is all about how Hashem is still there even when we don't see him. In other words, Adar represents the month that's furthest away from the month of clarity. So it would make sense that it's all about God manifesting himself amidst concealment. And that's, of course, the whole Purim story. Okay, so now here's my question to you, and we're going to finish off the aside with this, which is, what would you expect if Adar is the last month of the year, and the first month of the year is Nisan, and the arrangement of the Yudke Vavke for Nisan is the straightforward Yudke Vavke, what would you expect Adar, which is all about concealment, to be? What arrangement would you expect? So I'll tell you what arrangement I would expect. The name of Hashem spelled backwards. And here is the conclusion. <laughs> the Ari... The Holy Ari says that was the original arrangement of the letters of the month of Adar. But the prayers of Mordechai 
and Esther changed the arrangement of the letters. They, they, they changed through their tefillahs the spiritual DNA of the month. Isn't that fascinating? I think that's absolutely fascinating. So now, where did that backward spelling go to? Okay, we're back to Tammuz. <laughs> and it makes sense that it goes to Tammuz because we know that the spies came back with a bad report on Tishabav. And we also know that they journeyed for 40 days. Well, you subtract 40 days from the 9th of Av, and you know what you get? Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. So Rabbi Wolfson points out that the spies actually left on their disastrous mission, right, which led to us having 40 years in the desert and a whole generation dying out, um, including Moshe, that all that begins on the first day of the month of Tammuz. So it makes sense totally that Tammuz would have this reversed energy. Okay. So, so now I want you to picture the Yudke Vavke once again in the latter formation. And remembering that the bottom letter is the realm where we are, that's earth, if you will. And let's let's do the arrangement of Tammuz, which is again the opposite of the Yudke Vavke. Let's try to visualize this. And now we're going to understand on a deeper level what this big Yud is all about. Because this big Yud in the Torah is coinciding with Tammuz, right? Shabbos Mavorachim Sivan, which contains the month of Tammuz. Okay. So at the top, we have the letter He, and then underneath that, we have a Vav, and then underneath that, we have another He, and now underneath that, in the slot that correlates with our dimension, we have the Yud. So what I would like to suggest is that's why the Yud is big, because it's so close. We've got the big Yud there because it's showing that this divine energy, which is coming from the top of heaven, God is only getting closer and more manifest. You know what's so interesting about the letter Yud and why it makes sense that it would really correlate with this, you know, great divinity of God. Again, we, we don't do one-to-one correlations. We're not saying God looks like a letter Yud. You know, God has no image, no body. As, as I like to say to my kids, God doesn't have a body. God makes bodies, right? So, so this is all ideas that we can wrap our minds around. But, but, you know, it's very important when we discuss things like this and compare God to anything that, that we not get too literal. We're just trying to um, use these as, as wings to attach our, our minds to, to, to allow us to gain access to higher gates of understanding. So, so what is so interesting about this letter Yud and why is it appropriate that it would correlate with this high level of, of revelation of Hashem. Well, the, the letter Yud is the only letter in the Aleph base in the Hebrew alphabet that doesn't touch the ground. You know, it just, 
it's so high, it's so holy, that it just kind of, just kind of floating up there. Of course, God is very present in our, in our world, right? But, but we even have a teaching from the Talmud that says that God doesn't descend um, below ten tfachim. Um, that's a, that's a uh, biblical measurement. That means a hand's breadth. So in other words, there's a, there's a certain space below that God's presence doesn't descend. And that's, that's sort of like um, rabbinic Talmudic code for something. What, what does that mean? What that means is, is that God preserves in our world our free choice and our ability to see multiplicity where really there's only oneness. In other words, God makes a little, makes a, makes a concealment of his presence in this world. That's what it means that he doesn't go down below 10 hands breaths. Of course, God fills the entire world. So what is that talking about? It, it makes no sense. No, no, no. It's, the, the, the rabbis are actually making quite a profound point. What they're saying is, is that God will always preserve our ability to not see him. God will always preserve our ability to ascribe his work to multiple powers. And of course, we're not supposed to. But that's sort of built into the world as well, by God's design. That's, that's God's idea. That's not our idea. But we're supposed to see past that. You know, Reb Shlomo says that, you know, what's, what's, you, there's a mitzvah to, to drink on, on, on Purim, to get drunk on Purim. And of course, you know, everyone weighs in, like, wh- what's the definition of drunk? So it doesn't always mean just liquor. It doesn't have to, you don't have to have a, a sip of wine on Purim to get drunk on Purim. You can, Rabbi Nachman says, through the, the love of your, you know, fellow Jew, you can get drunk right? So just that alone. The Rambam says that you, you, you take a nap on Purim when you're unconscious, then, then it's like you're, you've, you've lost your das, you've lost all understanding. So, so you get drunk by, by cutting off rationality by being asleep. So that's, a, that's another way of doing it. But then there are those who say, no, 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 no. just you know, take some wine and drink some wine. Um, so, so what's a holy drunk? What's, what does it mean to be Purim drunk? So Reb Shlomo says that that, that a normal drunk, right, just like a, a regular year-round secular non-holy drunk, the more he drinks, like he sees double, then he sees triple. There's not one of you in front of him. There's two of you. There's not two of you. There's four of you. There's not four of you. There's eight of you. The more you drink, the, the more of you there is. But, but Reb Shlomo says that what does it mean to be drunk on Purim? That that the more you drink, the, the more you only see the oneness of God, right? All that otherness, all that multiplicity, all those illusions that there are any other power in the world just like disappear and you get total clarity. Okay, so again, the divine arrangement, the, 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 the arrangement of, of these energies and, and, and you know, just for, for Tammuz, is the hay is above, underneath that's the vav, underneath that's another hay, and then you've got this big yud. You've got this big yud in, in our world because God is actually coming so close. And again, just to contextualize that and to put that back into what we've been saying up until now. 
So many of us go through the, this period of the year saying, well, you know, we had, we had Purim, and then we had Pesach, and then we had Shavuos, and then, right? I made that noise when I was sharing this thought with my daughter, and she yelled at me. She was like, don't make that noise, please. So that's, that's, that is my, my, my skidding car noise, my hitting the brake at, at high speed noise, you know? God is hitting this hard left, and then we go, okay, well, the holidays are over now. It's like, Tammuz and Av. You know, this is, this is the way we think, that God switched gears. And what I'm telling you is a, a whole new way to understand this right now, is that, no, 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 the Yud is actually, that's the big Yud. That's the Yud as it correlates with our dimension, that God is actually continuing the momentum of the holidays. He's continuing the momentum of the closeness. But now we're all wearing light shirts. So that's why it's, there's no contradiction here. That's why it, it does become potentially a time of din, a time of judgment, right? Because of the closeness. Because of the closeness. Now, you know, all of this culminates because then you go from Tammuz, you go into Av. Av is even closer. God is getting even closer. Say, wow, like, how can you get even closer? He's getting even closer. How so? Well, let's just look at the name of the month. Now, it's true, Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, which is like the, the headquarters of all Jewish suffering, right? which again correlates with this Parsha because that's the day the spies came back with their bad report of the land of Israel. That day, the Medrash says, is the day that Mashiach is born. That day, halachically speaking, these are not just, these are not just homilies, right? It actually enters into halacha because we don't say Tachunun on Tisha B'av, because it's a it's 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 halachically called a moed, which is the word for Jewish holiday. Like Pesach is a moed, Shavuos is a moed, Sukkot is a moed, Tisha B'av is a moed. Yes, Alpi halacha, according to Jewish law, Tisha B'av is also a moed. You know why? Because the core of Tisha B'av is ultimate closeness. But when so much light when so much light comes down, and now I'm switching, I'm, I'm changing up the vocabulary here. So when now instead of saying closeness, divine closeness, I'm, I'm using different words right now, but we're talking about the same thing. When so much light comes down, you need kalim, you need vessels to hold the light. And at times of extreme closeness, if there's no vessel to hold the light, it manifests itself as destruction. You see, with this, let's just like widen the cosmic lens dramatically for a moment. This is why we have two understandings of how the redemption will come. 
we have this notion of the apocalypse, right? Which is not, that's not a Hebrew word. That's, that's a secular word. But, but, you know, this great war, Gog Magog, preceding the arrival of Mashiach, right? That's, that's, that's in the prophecies um, uh, in the Torah. But we also have a very opposite narrative that can take place which is that the Messiah arrives in an incredibly peaceful way. So we also have another very interesting rule that everyone should know, just Jewish Literacy 101 here, which is that none of the negative prophecies have to happen. You say, but it was prophesied. It doesn't have to happen if it's negative. And... All of, the pro- all of the positive prophecies do have to happen. So again, let's, let's hear that again. None of the negative prophecies have to happen, and all of the positive prophecies do have to happen. So, so what is it dependent on? Very simply, us. If we have kalim, if we have vessels to hold the light, then it can happen in a very smooth transition. If we lack vessels to hold the light, then it manifests itself as destruction. Because what is this this great redemption that we're talking about? We're talking about another quantum level of heavenly light coming down into this world. We're talking about heaven and earth fusing, essentially. So for that, you have to have really good vessels. Okay. So if we're all wearing white shirts, right, We how can we prepare for this happening in our own lives. Well, what we just said was that you need good vessels. So what does it mean to have good vessels? So remember, the word in Hebrew for vessel is kli. And the Megalia Mukos said, you know, so beautifully that kli is the um, Roshetevos, the first letters of Kohen Levi Yisrael which are sort of the three parts of the Jewish people. Um, And when they're fused together, when there's unity, in other words, when there's unity among the Jewish people, that's what we're talking about. Um, This is another way of expressing unity among all Jewish people. Kohen, Levi, Yisrael are together. That spells the word kli, which means vessel. Okay. So how do you destroy a vessel? So you destroy a vessel with Lashon Hara by speaking against each other. And just, you know, it's, it's, it's important that we know the, 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 the basic rules of Lashon Hara. I'm not going to go through all of them, but, but I, do want to, um, I do want to highlight one, one point, which I think is often not understood. People think that it's, it means they'll translate it as slanderous talk. And then they'll translate that as something that's untrue, that you, you know, you accuse someone of something that they aren't. But, but the truth is, is that the laws of Lashon Hara are quite intricate, and, and it really is perhaps better translated as hurtful words, hurtful words, meaning to say that you could say um, something that's 100% true about another person, and it's still Lashon Hara. But you say, but it's true. 
But it's Lashon Hara, because why are you bringing that up? Why are you why are you hurting that person's feelings by by saying this thing? Okay, so it's true, but why are you saying? It? So in other words, we we should just be very careful with ourselves that 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 we don't want to say something hurtful about another person. And by the way, the rabbis teach. Imagine two people talking, that three people are killed when lashon hara is spoken among two people. Who are the three people? The speaker, the listener, and the one spoken about. Okay? But now, <clears throat> so that's how you destroy a claim. Now, why do we speak Lashon Hara? So you could probably give many, many answers to this question. And I'm sure they'd all be right. Um, but what I want to tell you is what the Talmud says. The Talmud actually, you know, every time Tisha B'Av rolls around, you hear um, about sinas chinam, which means causeless hatred, hating people for no reason. And, and of course, they say the fixing for causeless hatred is causeless love. Lo- love someone for no reason, right? That, that's a beautiful thing. So, but... But I've always heard that it's sort of like, why was the temple destroyed? Why are we still in exile and everything like this? Well, there's, there's causeless hatred. There's Lashon Hara. These are all the reasons. But when I looked into the Talmud, I, I saw something that I thought was really fascinating, which is that the Talmud doesn't throw out these two reasons uh, as part of a laundry list. Rather, they fix a causal relationship between the two. In other words, they themselves, the sages themselves, are answering this question. Why do people, why do people speak Lashon Hara? Why do people speak ill of each other? Because, because of Sinas China, because of causeless hatred. In other words, hating another person causes you to speak ill of them. So, you know, one of the tremendous benefits of the uh, of the derech, the, the the way of serving God that the that the Kutzka Rebbe really kind of put in the world and popularized, was was really thinking before you do something. Like before a person speaks, I can ask myself. Why am I about to say what I'm about to say? Like if you're about to share something in public, right? Why am I saying that? And if a person introduces this level of reflectiveness into their life, you're going to be amazed at how much you don't say. (laughs) For the good. Or you're going to be amazed how you can phrase that thing slightly differently, which can make all the difference in the world. So, so we're all wearing white shirts now. We're all putting on our white shirts and, and we all want to make vessels for this like higher light. And whatever we can do, whatever we can do to sort of up our game 
that's that's going to be a beautiful thing. That's going to be a beautiful thing. Um, so, so just to finish off that last thought, just in case uh, uh, you didn't get it totally, this idea that when tremendous divine light comes, it can manifest itself in two ways. Now, we know Tisha B'Av, where the rabbis teach that Mashiach is born, right? Because, and it is a holiday, because this tremendous light is coming down. But if we're hating each other and speaking Lashon Hara, it manifests itself as the destruction of, of the temples and, and you know, the, the beginning of World War I, which becomes World War II and the Holocaust and, and the Spanish Inquisition and all this horribleness, right? But at its core, it's because God is so close. And in the end of days, that if we have vessels to hold the light, then there is no apocalypse, you understand? There is no war of Golgumagag. It, it, it doesn't happen. It's just this seamless transition into this like even greater closeness. So it's all about us making these vessels. And I'm telling you that the that the, the if, if everyone can think of their own ideas of how to do it, how to just beautify their their relationship and their observance. Everyone can think of ideas, but but start with lashon hara and causeless hatred. Start there. Start there because that, that that's at the top of the to do list, and then we can also come up with with many more beautiful ideas. Now, I want to transition into another idea right now. Because in addition to this large letter Yud uh, that happens in the Torah, there's, there's another Yud that's discussed in the Torah in, in, in Parsha Shalach. So it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a whole other discussion about the letter Yud with, within the same Parsha. And that's that the spies are going into the land of Israel. And Moshe Rabbeinu gives a special blessing to his, his to his number one top um, student. Uh, his name is Hoshea, but he's going to get a good. He's going to get a new name, Yoshua, uh, uh, because he's going to get the letter Yud attached to his name. And so let's just go through the dynamics of that because it's it's an interesting discussion, I think. So there's a medrash that says that where did and it was it was a blessing that that by changing uh, his name to Yeshua. Hashem was giving him a blessing that he shouldn't be negatively impacted by the other spies. And of course, uh, he isn't. He's one of the two spies along with Kalev that comes back and, and you, know, you know, defends God and, 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 and going into the land and everything like that. So the bracha works for sure. Okay. So the rabbis teach something wonderful, which is that that letter Yud came from the name Sarai, remember, Sarah, Avraham's wife, her original name was Sarai, spelled Shin Resh Yud. 
And then God took that Yud and changed it into a He and made it Sarah. And then interestingly, God also added the letter He to Avram's name and made his name Avraham. So in other words, the Yud from Sarai, which is the number 10, got split in half into two fives. Five is the letter He. So Sarai's Yud got split into two He's and and Avraham got one and Sarah got the other. Now, I'll tell you something, uh, again from the Megalia Mukos, something amazing. He says that when Sarai was, was Sarai, that she couldn't have children. God changes her name, and then she's able to have children. Now, in the context of everything we've been discussing right now, um, we've sort of done our homework to appreciate this thought. Because the letter Yud is like the highest letter. And that was her name. In other words, she was so high, she was almost like had this angelic quality. So, so that's why she couldn't have kids. Because she was like an angel, basically. So Hashem changes that Yud, gives half to Avraham, half to her, and now all of a sudden she has the hay of Malchus, the hay of this world. So now she's like able to have kids because now she's solidly situated in this world. Isn't that amazing? Just how the change of a name correlates with like all these divine energies. So, so the rabbis teach that that Yud from Sarai is the Yud that Moshe gave to Hosea to make him Yehoshua. Now, within that Medrash, within that Medrash, there's, as I understand it, there's a question that's bothering the rabbis that they're answering. What's the question that's bothering the rabbis? If the Torah existed before the world was created, which it did, the Gemara says it existed 974 generations before the world was created, where did Moshe get that Yud to give to Yehoshua? In other words, you already have the Torah. There are no extra letters in the Torah. So where are you getting that Yud from, Moshe? Like, who would even think to ask such a question? Amazing question. There, every letter has to be accounted for. You can't just give away a Yud. Where'd you get it from? Aha. So there was a free Yud available because Sarai lost her Yud, so this there's a Yud up for grabs, and Moshe Rabbeinu took that Yud. It's amazing, just the, the cheshbonos, like the, the, the you know, the, just the, the, the accounting that's taking place with each letter of the Torah. But now let's look at the end result of it. Remember we said that when uh, Sarah had the letter Yud, it, it was sort of like she needed to be more in this world, not more in the next world. But you know what? Yehoshua needed to fly above the other spies. He needed that you to be lifted up. 
And so everything perfectly happens in the perfect way. Okay. So let's continue um, for a little bit with, with, with the spies. Because I want to end on one point. I mentioned that I want to talk about this issue of trust. And, and, and I do want to do that. You see, because if this is a time of divine closeness that's coming, that this sort of this rush from Purim to Pesach to Shavuos is, is continuing, right? Now it's, God is continuing to get close. Well, in a relationship, if you want to be close with someone, you better trust them and they better trust you because that is the foundation of the relationship. You know? And I'll tell you something. If you're, if you're dating someone and it's starting to get serious or whatever it is, I, you know, I think that's a really good question to ask the other person. Do you trust me? Because if they don't, you should know. And that doesn't mean that that's the end of the courtship. If they don't trust you, then say, why? Tell me why. Tell me what, because first of all, I just like to know for myself, but, you know, maybe, maybe I can reassure you. Or maybe I can change that so that you do trust me more. And, of course, I'm talking about us and God. Because that, that trust factor is, is really going to be at the core of, of our closeness with him. If we're saying that this is a time of extra closeness, well, to put it in very real relationship terms, that means it's a time where that discussion, so to speak, that unspoken discussion is going on between us and God. Do you trust me? And so again, it's very exact that right at this time, where trust is really becoming the issue of the day, that we've got the story of the spies. What was so terrible about them giving the bad report about the land of Israel? I mean... In a lot of ways, in a, in a sort of a in you know, in a lot of ways, you could really make a very compelling argument that it was worse than the sin of the golden calf. Um, after the sin of the golden calf, we were heading toward Israel. Still, remember the timeline here. We leave Egypt. Fifty days later, we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. We encamp at Mount Sinai for one calendar year. And then we're off to the land of Israel. And that's going to be a few days journey. And we're going to get into the land of Israel, led by Moshe Rabbeinu. So basically, the, the end of days scenario, the, the redemption of the world scenario is on track. And then it gets rerouted till this day by the spies. 
I mean, it's a world history cosmic altering of, of events in a way that the golden calf didn't even do. So what was so terrible? I mean, if you told me that they spoke bad about the land of Israel and you told me that they built a golden statue and said, you know, let's, you know, let's make that our leader. I would say it's got to be the golden calf has to be worse. And yet, in terms of the practical repercussions of all this, it doesn't seem to be the case. So why, why was the spy situation so, so horrible? And it goes back to that word, trust. We thought that God was taking us into the land of Israel to kill us. That's what the spy said, that it's a land that devours its inhabitants and that basically we're all going to die at the hands of these giants and whatnot. And God saw that we were all crying at this news, that this is what God had planned for us. And God said, really? It, really? Is that what you really think that I have planned for you? That I'm taking you into the land of Israel to kill you off? Really? And that actually became a deal breaker. And God said, you know something? This generation can't go in. If that's actually what you think about me and who I am and what our relationship is and what I have planned for you, then no, 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 no. Over. Done. 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 We're going to wander around for 40 years. This generation's going to die off. And the next generation can go in. So here's my question. And we'll start to wrap it up. Where did this level of mistrust come from? And you know, again... I'm sure you can give many, many different reasons. But I want to suggest this reason, okay? In last week's Parsha, it's just sort of alluded to, but the rabbis talk about it. Again, we had been at Mount Sinai for one calendar year, and we were about to begin our journey to the land of Israel. And again, this was supposed to be led by Moshe, and, and we were all going to go in together. So this is, this is it. This is the moment we're waiting for, right? Well, the rabbis point out that when we left Mount Sinai, and this is their imagery right now, that we ran from Mount Sinai like children running from school that don't want any more work. <laughs> okay? We ran from Mount Sinai because we were like, no more mitzvahs. If we, get, if we can run fast enough from this place, we can get away from having any more mitzvahs. So now, here's the question. If you're God, right? Imagine you're God in this scenario. 
And God's like, you don't want any more mitzvahs. I, I, but, but, really? You see, think about it. Mitzvahs are just good. If, if, imagine that, imagine the most delicious food you could possibly eat. Now imagine that you could continue to eat the most delicious food that you ever ate in your entire life and not gain any weight and never get full. If, if that were the case, you would sit in this chair for the rest of your life <laughs> eating that food. Why wouldn't you? It's the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. You never gain weight and you never get full. Why would you ever stop? And the answer is, you would never stop. But that's what mitzvahs are. That's actually what mitzvahs are. And so if that's not our attitude about mitzvahs, that means that there's some level where we don't trust God. This is just me talking. You can take it or leave it. And so there were already fissures in the relationship before the spies come back. There was already just this hava mina, this, this sort of like speculation in our mind that, you know what, God's the boss man, and he's, you know, I don't know, and, you know, he's got his own thing, and I just got to get by, <laughs> and now he wants to take me to this place, Right? See, because if there were really trust there, imagine I told you, let's give another food analogy here. Imagine I said to you, um, hey, you know something? I want to take you to the best restaurant in the entire city. Now, I've been there. I've been there a few times. It's amazing. I promise you this is the best restaurant in the whole city. And you're like, fantastic. I can't wait. Let's go. Where is it? And then I tell you, it's in the worst neighborhood in the city. <laughs> and then you say, if, you know what? It all boils down to whether you trust me or not. If you trust me, you go, all right, let's go. If you don't trust me, then you go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, you, you know where it is, right? Like, uh, I don't think I want to go down there. If we really trusted God and God is saying, okay, so the, the spies say, hey, look, it's a, it's a dangerous neighborhood. There are these, you know, giants and it's fortified and whatnot. But hey, if God's taking us, no problem. So again, it gets back to this idea of trust. So I want to just really conclude with this idea. You know, let's be real. Let's be real with ourselves. Let's be real with God. Except for the most extraordinary among us, there are parts of us that don't trust God. Let's, let's just be honest. And so... Would I would ask us all to think about is 
in what area of my life don't I trust God? Because you know something, as my dad, Olava Shalom, would say, there is no change without insight. So before we even get to the idea of changing, let, let's just try to get the insight into ourselves, which will be the foundation for future growth. And, and, and try to get in that insight, what area or what areas of my life don't I trust God? And you know something, only you can answer that question. And then begin to explore it. Talk to God. Have the conversation with God. Just like you would have the conversation with someone who you're getting very close with. Do you trust me? Talk to God. Say, you know something, God? I, there's this area in my life right now where I, I don't trust you fully. Right? You can put it in a nice way. And let me tell you why. Because I've gone through this and I've gone through that and it was really painful and it was really difficult and I I know I'm alive and I'm well today but that scarred me and I honestly I still have a little post-traumatic stress from that and and I I I I, I would like to heal that wound but but how do I do it? How do we do that together? How do we make that next step together? And you know something? I think that makes the most beautiful vessel to hold more light. Because if you're in a relationship and you see that the other party is making, doing real work, to come closer. That's all you can expect. It's all you can expect. And if God sees that we're working on our trust issues and that we're trying to trust more and we're trying so that we can be closer, then I got to believe that that in itself is forming vessels to hold more light. What follows now are some questions and so answers. So let's just go over this idea of um, having vessels for the light. So we always have vessels. We always have vessels. And mitzvahs are vessels, basically. Um, um, good mitos, good character attributes are vessels. Um, and then, so they're always vessels. But if there's too much light, um, and, and light is a, a spiritual way of saying contents. So, so if there are too much goods and they can't fit into the vessel, then they sort of like, they break the vessel, so to speak, which means that there's a negative result when there could have been a positive result. So for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Um, the Talmud talks about a, a fascinating incident where four of our greatest sages went into the pardes, um, the orchard, uh, and parties, of course, um, they're talking about the spiritual realms. And three of, out of the four meet very negative consequences. Um, so one becomes a heretic, 
um, uh, Elisha ben Abuya, uh, Acher, he gets exposed to so much divine understanding that he doesn't know how to understand it or integrate it. So he just becomes a heretic. Um, Another of the sages uh, dies. Okay? Um, My interpretation of that is that when he encountered that, he didn't want to come back. (laughs) He was like, this is better. And another one of the heretics, or rather, another one of the sages, loses his mind. Because he, Ben Zoma, he, he didn't, he couldn't, again, he didn't become a heretic, but he went insane because he couldn't, he didn't have the vessels to hold this light, this divine understanding. Um, the one exception is Rabbi Akiva. And the language of the Torah in describing Rabbi Akiva is fascinating. It says, he, he entered in peace and he left in peace. Peace, of course, is the word shalom. Now, shalom is the ultimate vessel. And if you look, the rabbis and Hashem very uh, exactly end blessings with the word shalom. So I'll give you a few examples. The priestly blessing, Birkas Kahanim, ends with the word shalom. Uh, bir, birkas, birkas Hamazon ends with the word Shalom. The entire Torah Shabal Peh, the Talmud itself, ends with the word Shalom. Because, in other words, instead of thinking of it in a linear way, thinking of, think of it top to bottom. When you get to the very last word, You've got Shalom, which is the ultimate vessel. That's how the rabbis describe it. That's the ultimate vessel. So you've got the ultimate vessel to hold all of the contents that are coming down. You've got peace, which is all the way waiting at the bottom that can hold everything. So so let's think of the opposite way now. I'll give you a sort of a contemporary example. Hollywood, okay? You... Fame for a lot of people is the most destructive thing in the world because people, they're, they're, they're young, they're beautiful, and, then, and they, they're not emotionally mature, they're not enlightened, their minds are not expanded. They're just regular people. And then all of a sudden, their life gets flooded with what could be blessing, but they don't have the ability, they don't have the shalom, they don't have the maturity in order to hold like sudden massive wealth and, 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 and fame. And so it crushes them. They become drug addicts. They get divorced. They go insane, literally. They die. You know, the, the history of celebrities is littered with these horror stories of people who didn't have the vessels to receive now, we won't call it light, but it's blessing. It's, it's the same word. It's meant to be the same thing. So, hopefully this is a little bit clearer. So, so, so that's why um, proper meetups, proper personality traits um, are so important because the, the refinement of character gives you the ability to maturely 
integrate the increased attention or the increased resources or, or whatever it is that you correlate with blessing. Now you have a way to seamlessly integrate it into your life. That's what we're calling vessels. Um, so, so mitzvahs are also vessels, but really the real character work um, is what's going to create these blessings, um, uh, perhaps even more so. You know, Reb, Reb Chaim Vital, who is the number one student of the Ari, uh, famously said that a bad character trait is worse than an Avera. An Avera is when you break a mitzvah. So, so why? Because if a person breaks a mitzvah, if they do an Avera, that's a, that's a one-time event, and they can correct that. It's isolated. But he says that a bad character trait is a fountain of averas. You know, because if you, if you don't properly understand things, then you're just going to do the wrong things over and over and over again. And they're all going to come from your lacking character trait, from a bad mita. So from, from this you see that, that even... Um, more fundamental than the mitzvah observance in terms of our, our ourselves creating vessels for the light is, 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 is our character traits. That's why I'm emphasizing trust in a time of closeness. Because this is a character trait that will allow us to integrate this, this increased closeness that's coming. Because like I've been saying, I think that let's let's understand that the momentum of the holidays is actually continuing. We're so used to thinking that Hashem turns off the spigot and then he takes a hard left turn and now it's a time of din. But what I'm suggesting is a, a deeper and what I believe is a truer understanding of what this period is right now. That God isn't stopping the closeness and that's the problem from our perspective. He's actually getting closer right now. But that requires us to up our game. And then we have to do the work to up our game. But I think that if he, God just sees that we're doing the work, that that itself is going to make a vessel. Because if you see that the other person is, is, is trying hard, then you love them more for trying hard, even if they're not there yet. And you, and you want to trust them more, and you want it to work out better with them. So, so it's effective, even if, it's, if the work isn't complete. Which is, um, okay. I've shared with you, I think, in, in the past, that sort of like a, a, kind of like a game that I sort of play uh, going to shul when I walk to shul on, on, on Shabbos, is I'll look at different buildings that are being constructed, and I just kind of like to, you know, ch check back in. You know what I mean? Like sort of like, oh, they put up windows or they, they did the painting or they finally put, they put in the finishing touches of the lawn. And But it takes a really long time to build a building. You know, even a simple building, even a simple house, it takes a really long time. And um, I thought one time that if, if it takes so long to build like a simple house or a building or a little apartment, four-unit complex... What about the universe? <laughs> like, like it's, it, 
Why is it taking so long, Ira? And I think that the answer is, is because the scale of this endeavor that we're involved in is so totally epic. And, you know, when we appreciate that what it is that we're actually transacting here, which is the perfection of the universe and and spiritual realms, you know, all of a sudden it's sort of like it, it, it just makes a lot more sense for me anyway, you know? Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.